You go ahead and have a seat. <clears throat> My name is Ricky. I serve as one of the pastors here. When I was in high school, I started working for a grocery store called La Tienda. It was a fun job for the most part. And so I would go to school, uh, come home, change real quick, go to work. And, and I remember, I believe it was my second day on the job. And I had about a six-hour shift, bagging groceries, stocking everything, cleaning things. And then we had this, this closeout, the, the store procedure. So I cleaned the bathrooms, swept the store, mopped the store. And then there was one last task that I had to do, and that was to flip the breakers and then clock out. But there was just only a few breakers that, that we had to, to flip. And so I go back, and the breakers are in this really dark corner, can't really see anything. And so I'm thinking of the guy who told me which ones to flip. And, okay, um, man, which ones do I flip here? I, he said the ones that had a 30 on, on them. Okay, yep, click, click, click. Oh, there's another one over here. Am I supposed to flip that one? Feels like there. that's one too many. But no, he said the ones with the 30. Click. Okay, great. Boop. Swipe out. Go home. The next day I had another shift, but it was a little bit later on in the day. And I'm walking into the store and I notice, oh, the checker. She's, she's looking at me kind of odd. And I get over here to the where I'm supposed to clock in. And oh, there's a lot of people, a lot of my co- co-workers looking at me really weird. What is going on? Swipe. Ricky, my boss, calls. Come here. Mm, okay, here we go. All right. Yes, sir. Did you close up last night? Sure did. Did you flip the breakers? Yes, I did that. You didn't flip the right ones. One of the ones you flipped was to the meat locker, and we ended up losing basically everything. Over $1,000 worth of meat. Understood. Yep, the, the meat guy had to come back in today and basically recut everything. He's definitely not happy with you. So, so that's it. You're just telling me I goofed up? Yep. Okay. <laughs> and and, and so, so it, it was just this time, and, and I, later on I clock in, I'm walking down, and, and they had this window back to where he would cut, and I just see the, the meat guy, and he just looks up, and he's just glaring at me. Sorry. And, and, I, and I just, I, there, there's this, I, I feel bad about what I've done, even though it was this mistake, but there's this thought going through my mind is, man, what, what does my boss really think of me? I, I guess I still have a job, I think, but what does he really think of me? Is he wanting to fire me? What is, what is, I think I know what the meat guy thinks of me. That, uh, I don't know if that was a puzzle, but is this ever going to start to feel okay? What about my coworkers? Are they just going to make fun of me forever? What, 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 is, what is going on? I mean, do you, have you ever had a time like that where you, where you just blown it? Maybe, there, maybe there's something similar for you as you messed up at work and you just feel on edge a little bit. Or maybe... Maybe you were at a sporting event and, and you missed the, la- the, the, the last shot or you threw a bad pass and your team now loses the game. Maybe you forgot an anniversary. And because of those things, because of what you've done, you have this feeling in your mind. 
Maybe it was something more than just a mistake. Maybe you did something wrong against somebody. Maybe you sinned against somebody. Maybe you got caught in a lie. Maybe you yelled at your kids. Maybe you had an argument with a friend or with someone and you said some things that you shouldn't have said that were really mean and unloving. You blew it. And you feel it. Don't you? Shame. This feeling of shame just comes in. Not even just for what you've done, but you're just wondering, but how are we? I don't know if I feel accepted, really. You said it was fine. You said I'm forgiven, but but how are we really? How do you really think about me? Do you really want to be around me right now? Am I fully accepted? Have you ever felt that way with God? Yeah, God forgives me. But, but what, is he, what is he really thinking of me when he thinks about me? What, how does God, does, he, does God really want to be around me? Or is he kind of wanting to hold me at arm's length? Is he wanting to kind of give me some distance or, or be... Yeah, I guess God, God loves me, but, but God knows what I've been like this past year, this last month, this last week, this last night. And I don't really know if he really likes me. Does he really want me around? There's, there's definitely, God definitely would want somebody around like that. God likes them. But I don't really know if he wants... He doesn't, he doesn't like me like he likes them because, because of what I've done, because of who I am. I don't know if I'm really accepted. Does God really want me or is he just kind of putting up with me and he's just kind of disappointed in me? And if he sees me, he's not really that happy that I'm there. We've also thought something like that. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. So if you've got a Bible... Open up to John 21. John is the fourth gospel. It's in the New Testament. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then it's Acts. So if you've gone to Acts, you've gone too far. 21 is the last chapter of Acts, or of John, sorry, verse 1. So John 21. Just says, after this. What is this after? So Jesus has had his, his, his public ministry. He's healing people. He's preaching the gospel, preaching God's word. And then he was arrested and he was put on trial an unjust trial and he's he died he was crucified and he paid the price for sin and then he was put in a tomb and then he rose from the from the grave he rose from the dead three days later and already Jesus has appeared to his disciples a couple of times so so when it says after this it's saying after his death burial and resurrection so after this Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the sea of Tiberias and he revealed himself in this way. So the disciples, they've seen that Jesus is alive. They know he's, he's ro- risen from the dead. But then that's kind of it. They're really not sure what to do. And so they make their way back north, back to where Mo- Jesus called most of them from uh, in, in the area of Galilee. So they went from Jerusalem back, kind of back home, if you will. And they're a little confused. They're not really sure what to do. Now, this is, this is interesting because if you look at the end of chapter 19, Chapter 19 ends with, 
Well, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples. But, but they're not all written in this book. But I have written this. John is saying this. I've written this book so that you may believe in, in Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, that, and that by believing you might have life in his name. That it feels like John is concluding the book. This is, there's other things I could tell you about, but I haven't. But here's why I wrote what I wrote. End of story. We're done. Credits roll. But then he just keeps going. Going on with, with chapter 21. And, and John is saying, I just have one more thing to share with you. And right here at the beginning, it says, well, Jesus revealed himself to the disciples and he revealed himself in this way. There's something more you need to see. He's queuing in for us and the original readers. There's just something else, a little bit different that I need to show you. So pay attention. Verse 2, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin Nathaniel from Cain of Galilee, um, Zebedee's sons, that's James and John, and two others of the disciples, doesn't even name them, um, were together. I'm going fishing, said Peter. We're coming with you, they told him. They went out into the boat that night, but they caught nothing. So Peter, he, he knows that, that Jesus is alive. He saw the empty tomb. He's seen Jesus uh, in, in the flesh. But if we're, we're just tracking with Peter's story, right, shortly before this, just, just days, maybe a week or two earlier, Peter had, had a moment where he could have stuck up for Jesus, but he blew it. He had failed. He had denied Christ, just like Jesus said he would. And so that's basically where, where Peter's mind is at. He's a little confused. I'm not really sure what's going on. I don't, I don't really know how, what Jesus thinks of me. I'm not really sure what's going to happen to me. What, the rest of my story, I don't know what it's going to look like. But Peter knows, well, the last thing is, is I was a disciple. I was a follower of Jesus, and I let him down. I'd, I'd blown it. I'd failed as as. A disciple, and so Peter doesn't really know what to do, so he just thinks, well, I'll just go back to doing what I did pre-Jesus. Before Jesus called me to be one of his disciples, I'll just go back to fishing and doing that. So he just says, I'm going fishing. The rest say, well, we'll go with you. But then they don't catch anything. I mean, that Jesus, or Peter has to feel even like a bigger failure. Having to go back to doing the one thing that I really know how to do, that I've done my whole life is fishing, I was fine going by myself, but all these other guys, they said, we're going with you. We fished all night, and I'm letting them down. We've caught nothing. I can't even do anything right. Tried following Jesus. I didn't, I didn't do that well, and now I'm trying to do this fishing thing, and that's not, that's not going well so either. And so Jesus, Peter's just feeling this, this sense of failure. Verse 4, when daybreak came... Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Friends, Jesus called to them. You haven't caught any fish, do you? Nope. Sure not, they answered. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. They did so, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. The disciple, the one Jesus loved, that's probably John, the one who wrote this book, said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer garment of clothing around him, for he had taken it off and plunged into the sea. So, so Peter goes back to doing what, what he does best, and he's, he's following, failing at that. Jesus calls to them. They don't know it's Jesus. And Jesus, it's kind of implied that a negative answer, hey, guys, 
Haven't caught anything, have you? Nope. Sure haven't. And then this, because they don't know it's Jesus, so this is a stranger to them. I know your, your net's on this side of the boat. We'll just cast it on the other side, and it'll work. Because fish just don't like it over there. Just, just right over here, five feet away, do that. Doesn't really make much sense for them to do, but, but again, you, you, this, this is really focusing on Peter, and Peter probably is thinking, well, who cares? This, anything that I'm trying isn't working. I don't even care. Sure. Boop. Throw it over there. They fill the nets. All of these fish. And if you're thinking this story sounds familiar, it's because it is. This is very similar to when Jesus called, called Peter in the first place. Peter and Andrew, James and John, they're on the Sea of Galilee. They've been fishing all night. They haven't caught anything. And then Jesus tells them, but they know it's Jesus that time. Try the other side. And then they fill the nets. That time when, when, when Peter, he, because Peter, he, 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 he's like, whoa, Jesus. He recognizes who Jesus is. I don't, I don't know if you want anything to do with me. But now Jesus is taking them back to this moment. And I think Jesus is, is one, letting them know who he is. Because all of this whole scene, if you're Peter, if you're one of the disciples, this would click in your mind of, this feels just like it when Jesus called us to follow him in the first place. And if you're Peter, think about it. Jesus called you to himself to be his disciple. Come follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. Jesus is telling Peter, when I called you in the first place to be my disciple, you had done nothing to earn it. You had done nothing to deserve it. And he's taking Peter back to that moment when he first called him. And then John says, it's the Lord, Peter, Peter being impulsive like he is. Seems like he had taken some clothes off so that he can work the nets better. Being impulsive, he puts some more clothes back on. That makes sense if you're going to jump in the water. It really doesn't. But he, he puts some more clothes on. He kind of girds it up somehow. And he just, I'm not waiting for the boat. I'm going to, I don't know. I wouldn't think he'd be swimming that fast. But he just dives in. They lug the fish to shore. And then we, we pick it up in verse 9. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. And so the, this word there in, in the Greek for charcoal fire, it's only used two times in the New Testament. One of them is right here in John 21. The other one is just a few chapters earlier in John 18, verse 18. And so... In chapter 18, that charcoal fire also involves Peter, but it's under very different circumstances. Jesus is being tried unjustly. He's about to face his death. And Peter is out there by the fire. And people ask Peter, Hey, aren't you one of his disciples? Not me. Not me. No, I saw you with them. I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't know Jesus. And this is, that's the moment where Peter failed. It was the, the moment that, that Peter denied Christ three times. And so John, he's telling the readers, go back to that moment. This moment that you're reading about here in John 21, it's totally tied back to that moment for Peter. I mean, imagine if you're Peter. 
You hear him? It's the Lord. You dive in. You're swimming, not very fast. You start getting to where you could get your feet up on, on the ground. You start sloshing through the, the water. You're coming up onto the shore, getting a little bit closer to Jesus. And then first, that smell hits you. There's a fire burning. What was the last fire that you remember sitting around? You get a little bit closer, and there's Jesus sitting right by it. Takes him back. Takes him back, and that feeling is just going to come rushing back to him, that, that feeling of shame. I've blown it. My Savior, my friend, my teacher, I denied him just like he said I would. I let him down. He feels it. He knows the other disciples know it. He knows that Jesus knows it. And he feels, this is pretty, this is tough. There's no, I told him no way. So Peter's just reminded of his, of his cowardice. Now you might be thinking, I think it's easy for us to think, Oh yeah, Peter, P Peter denied Jesus and, and Jesus had told him, had predicted that Peter would deny him. And, and, if, and if we were faced with the same, same situation and Jesus told us, you'll deny me, we would be like, oh yeah, I probably would. But would you really? I mean, think about that. Let's say that one of your friends, one of your relatives today told you, you're going to deny me tomorrow. You would probably, your first instinct would be, no, I won't. Of course I wouldn't. You're, you're, you're my spouse. You're my friend. I love you. Why would I deny you to somebody? That's exactly what it is for Peter. If we were faced with the same situation with Peter and Jesus said, you're going to deny me, I think all of us would say, I don't think so. Maybe not exactly like Peter, but, but Peter is the last guy that you would think would deny him. Or, or somebody like Peter in your life, you would think there's no way they would do this. And so Peter, he's reliving this moment in his mind about what had just happened a week earlier. Verse 10. Bring some fish you've just caught, Jesus told him. So Peter climbed up and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them, even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Now, now notice what Peter's doing here. It's the Lord. Poof, diving in. Here I come, Jesus. Go get some fish. I'll get them. 153 fish. It says they're large fish. This, this net probably weighs over 300 pounds. Peter's like, I'll get it by myself. What is Peter doing? He's proving himself. Trying to prove himself to Jesus. See how good I'm obeying Jesus? Go get the fish on it. I'll do whatever you say, Jesus. See me, Jesus, I'm swimming. See me, Jesus, I'm grabbing the fish. Because he feels embarrassed. He feels, he feels this shame. And when we, when we feel this shame inside of us, what is going on is not just, again, this guilt that we have about what we've done, but it's, it's this tremor in our identity. Shame is saying, I don't know if I feel like I really belong. 
I don't know how we are really relationally. When, you, when you've done something and you feel like you can't look someone in the eye, that's that feeling of shame. You feel just that distance with somebody that we don't belong at all. And so Peter, he's, he's trying to prove himself out of it. How can I get rid of this shame? I'll just, I'll work for it. And think of those moments that you feel guilt, that you feel shame. We typically respond in a couple of ways. One of them, we respond just like Peter. We prove ourselves. We put a lot of effort into showing how sorry we are. If Christy and I have an argument, which is almost always entirely her fault, that's, that's joking. You know, if, you, if you hang out with us, you're like, no, it's not. It's your fault, Ricky. Yes, it was. And so if, if, we, if we have this, this argument and she says, okay, I forgive you. Now, it's not because of anything that she does, but, but for me, I'll feel, are we really okay? I blew it. I really messed up. Oh, my shoulders hurt. On it. See? See how I love you? See, I'm, I'm massaging you. I'll make dinner. See? See how good I'm doing? I'm, see how sorry I am? And we do the same thing with God. Maybe you've done the same thing with God. You've, you've messed up. You've sinned against God. You know it. And you, I'm going to really read my Bible. Or you make some sort of promise to God. God, I'm never going to do that again. I, I, there's no way I'll do it again. We don't think that we deserve his acceptance or his forgiveness. But if we do something, then, then we're okay. Then God likes us again. Because we've jumped through the hoops. We've, we've, become, we've made ourselves more acceptable to him. Maybe instead of proving yourself, you just avoid God entirely. Just like Adam and Eve, God told them, don't eat from this, this one fruit, one, from one tree. Don't do that one thing. But then they do it. They sin against God. They disobey. And then what do they do? Oh, you hear that? God's coming. Let's hide. And they just say, let's, let's avoid God. And maybe... maybe that's your response to God. You, you, you think, well, I, I don't know if I can just go back into God's presence. So I'm just, I'll just give God his space. I'll let him cool down. I'll, I'll, I'll avoid him. I'll avoid church for a while. I'll avoid, you avoid city group. You avoid God's people. You avoid prayer. You avoid reading the Bible. Why? Because there's something inside of you that just says, I don't deserve this right now. I don't know if I'm really wanted or, or you might even try to rationalize your sin oh it wasn't that bad but see even when you're trying to rationalize something that you've done in your own mind you're not going to God you're avoiding God you're just coming to yourself because why you you're hesitant with God but if I could talk myself into thinking it wasn't that bad then I'll feel better about it and so Peter here he he knows that Jesus loves him at least some but he's trying to prove himself to Jesus. See how good I'm doing? Making himself feel better about this. And, and just, what, what does Peter need in this moment? At the end of chapter 19, when Jesus appears 
to Thomas, right? We call him Doubting Thomas. I'm not going to believe that, that Jesus is really raised from the dead unless I see his, the scars in his hands and I touch his side where he was pierced. And so Jesus appears to Thomas and he proves himself to Thomas, right? He proves that I am indeed Jesus. But here, Peter doesn't need proof. Peter needs something different. Peter needs restoration. So this is where Jesus meets him in this verse 12. Jesus says, come have breakfast. Jesus told them. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus took the bread and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Notice what Jesus says here. He says, come have breakfast. And he took bread and he gave it to them with the fish. Now, this could be really easy for us to gloss over. We, we feel like, well, let's just skip over these verses. That doesn't really mean a lot. And just get to, get to the next part in verses 15 through 17. That, that's, that's where we start thinking about it more. But I wonder if actually if food is one of God's love languages. I mean, think about it. Remember in the ancient world, when you eat a meal together with somebody, this meant something. When you ate a meal together with somebody, this was this, this sign of fellowship, the sign of acceptance, of relationship, of commitment. And so when Jesus is saying, come have breakfast, and that really, Jesus is inviting them more to a meal. Peter needs to know, are we really okay? Us? Do you, still, do you still want me, Jesus? Are we, are we, are we still really friends? Are we, are, do we still really have that? Think of Luke 15 when the, there's the prodigal son, the lost son. He goes and he squanders everything his father has. And he's wasted it all, his, all of his inheritance, and he's shamed his dad. And he says, Man, I just need to go home comes to his senses and he, and he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go home. I'm going to ask my father for forgiveness and I'm going to ask if I could be one of the servants. So he goes home. The father sees him from far off. He runs to him. Maybe you're familiar with that part. We all like that part. The father runs to him. The, the son gives the rehearsed speech. And then notice what the father does. The father doesn't just forgive his son. What does he do next? He puts a ring on his finger, a robe on him, but then what does he do? has a meal. Let's eat together because my son was lost and now he's found. Let's, and, he, and he invites everybody to the meal to help everyone else know, but also to help his son know this relationship is restored. And so what is happening here for, for Peter is unmistakable. He knows exactly what Jesus is doing when he says, come have breakfast. Come into to acceptance, to commitment, to certainty of relationship, Peter. Come eat with me. I mean, when was the last time you really blew it? I mean, imagine if, if you were at work and you really messed up. And then your boss says, why don't you come over for dinner tonight? I mean, some of you would be thinking, am I going to get fired? I mean, that, that would feel so weird, but... but 
And you just ate with your boss, and that's it. Or kids, students, let's say that you, you totally disobeyed your parents. And then one of your parents says, let's eat some ice cream. How'd that make you feel? Now, parents, you're thinking, there's no way I can't do that because I'm re- I can't reward bad behavior. Or, or let's say you're in a relationship, a friend, a spouse, and again, you've, you've blown it. You've messed up. And they say, let's go on a date. Let me take you out for dinner. How would that make you feel? There would be some sort of sense of, huh, some sort of invitation to them that you would have. I mean, think, is there anybody that, that in your life that has apologized to you, that, that has asked for your forgiveness, that, that they've repented, that you need to do something like that with them? To help them know that they're not even just you've forgiven them, but you've received them back into fellowship. Or is there somebody that's just in your life, maybe they didn't sin against you, but just having a meal together helps them see that they really are accepted relationally with, with people or even with God. So for, for Peter here, this, what Jesus is doing is, is totally undeniable. Jesus is inviting him back into relationship, not because Jesus kicked him out of the relationship, by the way, but because Peter did. That's what shame does to you, right? Shame, because of what you did and how you feel about yourself, tells you, I don't belong. And so Jesus is meeting him in his shame, meeting Peter in his embarrassment, in his failure, says, Hey, let, let's eat breakfast. And this is, this is not just Peter. This is all of them are eating breakfast. Peter is not the only one that failed Jesus. All of the rest of the disciples failed Jesus. They all didn't stick up for Jesus in, in the heat of the moment. They all scattered. And so if you're one of the disciples and, you're, and you've known that, that kind of like Peter's blown it even worse than you, and you see what Jesus is doing with Peter... And man, if, if Jesus can forgive, if Jesus can restore relationship, if Jesus can accept Peter like this and be committed to Peter like this, when Peter has totally blown it, if he could do that for Peter, what, he's doing that for me. And Jesus, when he breaks the bread, what was the last meal that the disciples have had with Jesus? The Lord's Supper. When Jesus broke the bread and said, this is my body given to you. And then he, later on in the meal, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you. So Jesus told them that he was going to pay the price for their sin. All of these things, knowing that they would all leave him and that they would fail him. And Jesus now with this meal is saying, what is, was true then is still true now. My blood still covers you. I'm bringing you into this relationship, reminding you of this fellowship that we have together. And there's, there's three invitations in the book of John. First one is come and see in chapter one, come and drink in chapter seven, and now it's come and dine, come and eat here in 21. So Jesus invites them 
Let's have breakfast. Come have breakfast with me. It's at his invitation, his initiative. Verse 15. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, he said to him, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, he said. Notice how Jesus doesn't respond in this. Jesus doesn't lash out to Peter in anger. And if you think about it, the, the question that Jesus asked Peter is kind of odd. Do you love me? Don't you think that the question would be, will you betray me again? Will you deny me again? Will you chicken out like that again? That would seem like the question to ask. That's not the one that Jesus is pressing in on. He, because Jesus is not just after Peter's behavior. He's really after Peter's heart. And he asks him the, this question three times. Again, bringing Peter back to this moment of denial that he denied him three times. And the question he says is, do you love me more than these? Meaning, do you love me more than the other disciples love me? Because that was Peter's claim. Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter said, no, no, I'm not. They might all fall away. They might chicken out. They might not love you like I do because I'll die for you. I'll lay my life down for you. And so that was Peter's claim. I love you more than all the rest of the disciples love you. And so Jesus asked him the question, hey, do you really love me? Do you really love me more than the rest of the disciples do? Because that's, that's kind of what you said. And notice, notice Peter's response. He doesn't compare like he, he did previously. He just says, you, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He doesn't say I love you more than the rest of the disciples do. Because what's happening to Peter? Now, now Peter is, is broken. Now in his, Peter's humility, he understands, I'm not as strong as I thought I was. I couldn't perform for Jesus like I thought I could. I'm not as self-sufficient as I thought. And now Peter is understanding without Jesus, I can't do anything. In, in these, these verses, there's, there's a little bit of different word usage here. J Jesus, in the first two times, he says, do you love me? It's this word agape. Do you agape me? Which was this strong commitment of love. And then Peter responds, yes, I phileo you. Or we get the word Philadelphia. I, I have brotherly love for you. And then the last time Jesus says, do you phileo me? And he says, yes, I phileo you. And, and John uses the, these words kind of interchangeably so that the distinction might not be as much uh, as, as we think it is there. But, it, but what, what, what Jesus is saying to Peter in these is, Peter, I know that your love for me will not always be perfect. I know that it won't always be the strongest that it can possibly be. I, Peter, I, I know that you will let me down. 
Peter, I knew that you wouldn't lay down your life for me when you claimed to love me like that. I knew you wouldn't lay down your life for me, but I still laid down my life for you knowing that. My love, your love for me won't always be perfect, but my love for you, Peter, will always be perfect. And so Peter is realizing, I didn't love Jesus like I thought I did. But he loves, but Peter is also realizing that Jesus loves him more than he thought he did. That Jesus' love for him is greater than he thought. And Peter's starting to understand that his relationship with Jesus is not based off of Peter. That Peter's relationship with Jesus is not based off of his morality, but off of Jesus's mercy. It's starting to get through this. I mean, imagine Peter's thoughts in this. This is the same seaside where Jesus called him to follow him. This is, Peter had declared his unshakable loyalty But then he failed and he denied him three times. And and now Peter is back where this whole journey began. This question, I mean, for Peter, for for us as the readers, is, is this the end of Peter's journey? Would Jesus ever accept Peter really back? Would he ever forgive Peter? Does, would he ever, could he ever use a failure like Peter? Is Peter's story over? But Jesus tells Peter three times, tend my lambs, feed my sheep. I don't want you to just merely receive my mercy and grace. I want you to extend it to others. Because Peter, you might thought that I was done with you, but I'm not. You might thought that I couldn't use a failure like you, but you're exactly the person that I want to use. Earlier in the book of John, it says that Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. Peter now knows that firsthand. Jesus didn't come to condemn me. He came to save me. In in our city group, we were talking about this passage, and a a woman just had, had a really good insight. She said, Peter may have thought his story was done, or that his story had ended, in his failure, but Jesus was continuing to write a new story through Peter. He was still going to use Peter because God uses failures. These, these, these three denials that you had, Peter, when you denied Jesus, they don't define you. I think this question that we could have is, why did Jesus do it like this? Why did Jesus take Peter to this moment? Because think, who's the one who made the fire? Jesus. Who's the one that led Peter to the fire? Jesus. Who's the one talking with Peter and asking him these questions? It's Jesus. Jesus is taking him into this moment. Why doesn't Jesus just say, Peter, you're forgiven and move on? Think of if you have an infection in your body and you get some surgeon or doctor to come and they're going to do an operation. And after the operation, the the doctor says, and you ask the doctor how to go. And the doctor says, we got most of it. I don't think that'd be really reassuring to you. You would think, why didn't you get all of it? It was an infection. Get rid of all the junk. Get it all. Whatever you need to do, cut it out. Put some Vicks on it. Um, Probably don't want to do that. 
Get, get it all over. Because why you know, you have to get it, get everything. You have to, the, the whole area, whatever's infected needs to get out and everything needs the medicine. That's why Jesus is meeting Peter in this moment. Your heart, Peter, needs all of the medicine, all of the love, all of the grace, all of the mercy of Jesus. Get the whole area. Remove all of the sin, remove all of the shame out. For, you to, for Peter to understand, not just that you're forgiven, but that I want you. You are mine. You're restored to relationship, to this, this acceptance. That's the core of the gospel, isn't it? You're not, Jesus is saying to Peter and to us, you're not dependable, but I am. You're not going to come through, but I will. You're going to fail me, but I'm not going to fail you. Saving the world doesn't depend on you. It depends on me. And Jesus, he, he meets Peter here in his shame. And he invites Peter out of it. Into this relationship with him. Come and eat breakfast with me. You're forgiven. Not because of what you've done, but because of what I've done for you. And if you have not trusted in Jesus, if you've never given your life to Christ, Jesus has given you that invitation today. Come out of the sin. Come out of the shame. Well, Jesus, you don't, you know, Ricky, I don't, I don't know. You don't know everything that I've done. Jesus knows all that you've done, and he died for it. There's no amount of being sorry enough or performing enough that can make yourself suddenly more acceptable or pleasing in his sight. It's only by the grace of Jesus that you're saved from your sin, safe to a relationship with him. So he's giving you that, that invitation today. Peter, he saw a fire, saw that same charcoal fire, and it reminded him, of his failure. But Jesus met him there and changed that. I mean, think, think of how this is transformed for Peter. Now when he smells that, that fire smell again, now when he sees the fire again, it's no longer a place of shame. It's no longer a place of disappointment or failure, but it's this place of restoration of what Christ had done for him. The mercy that he, that was lavished on Peter. And if you, if you ever feel shame, feel like there, there's no way that really God likes you, loves you, if, he, if you're wondering, does he really fully receive me, fully, have, fully accept me? Don't look to how you've messed up. Don't look to how you've blown it. Don't look to your sin. Don't look to that thing in your past. Look to Christ. Romans 8 1 says, therefore, there is, to those who are in Christ, there is now no condemnation. And the, the question that I, I really just want to press in for all of us is this, as we see what Jesus has done for Peter, and we see what Jesus has done for us, for you, do you really understand the beauty and the power of the grace of Jesus in your life? I mean, do you really understand what he has done for you? Not that he just said, hey, you're forgiven. 
You've done some bad things. But that Christ, by his grace, by his invitation, not by anything that you've done, not by you making it happen, but by his invitation, he says, come have breakfast with me into fellowship, into acceptance, into certainty. I know that you failed, and I know you will again. But that's the invitation that, and the grace and the mercy that we've received. By Jesus, do you understand the grace of Christ? How amazing it is what he's given to you. Does, does your relationship with Christ currently look like that you can just go to ha- and have breakfast with him? That you can rest in the grace? Or do you, are you stuck thinking that you need to continue to perform? Or that you need to keep your distance for a while, then you can go back. Or is your life characterized by this, Jesus has invited me to the table with him. Jesus has invited me to have breakfast with him. And I could just rest in the grace of Christ. Because this relationship that, that, that you have is not based off of you. You don't perform for it. If you trust in Christ, there is no more God holding you at an arm's length, trying to keep his distance from you. There's no more of him just looking down on you, kind of disappointed, tolerating you, not really wanting to hang out with you. There is none of that, but there is just Christ in his perfect love, his perfect grace that's being extended to you constantly every day and just saying, come have breakfast. Come have breakfast with me. There is no condemnation, no shame, no feeling like you don't belong, no feeling that you aren't accepted. There is just Christ saying, you belong here with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, we thank you that this is true. God, we thank you that your grace is so amazing. That it is bigger than we think. Lord, I pray that, that as we think through this and Lord, that, that we would, that th- this truth would get deeper into our, our minds, into our soul, into our bones, Lord, of just how wonderful you are. Lord, I pray that we would feel joy and freedom to accept your invitation to just come eat with you, come have breakfast with you, Lord, not because we've earned our spot, not because you've caught us on a good day, Lord, but that you, you've come to us and, and really in our, when we're at our worst. So Lord, help us to trust more and more completely in the wonderful grace and mercy that you've given us. We ask this in your name. Amen. Um, today we're going to take communion together just as a church family.